Welcome to the Grace Vineyard Podcast, where we are building growing communities of worshipers who are becoming like Christ, empowered to do His work. We hope you enjoy this message. He is risen. Oh, I heard this sigh. I don't know if they believe it over there, Matt. He is risen. Yeah. Oh, amen. It is so good to be with you guys. So good to be with you. Did Am I supposed to introduce myself? Did you say who I am? Do you know my name? Who knows my name? <laughs> my name is Ron. <laughs> and I'm here from um, uh, one of the one of the places of worship in our county. Um, Grace Vineyard, we're called, but it's so good to be with you. What do you think of these gardens? If you haven't sort of paused to breathe it in and look and listen and feel it and smell the flowers, stop and smell the roses, okay? This is beautiful. Can you can you imagine this? This place came out of a vision. You know that, right? This used to be dirt. What you're looking at was once dirt, and it's grown into this garden because God planted the vision, and then he gave the means to fulfill the vision. And here we have it. And that's just the way God does on and on and on and on and on throughout history. From the beginning until this day, God gives vision from himself, two people, and then he gives the power and the means to create. And that implies for each one of you. You are each made in God's image. God gives each of you vision to birth out of nothing his ideas into something that he then empowers and brings into fruition, like the place we're in right now. So don't miss that. Don't miss that. I, I want to, um, I, I have a message, of course, you know that. We're a church, right? But I, I first want to say uh, just a couple thoughts. You, you Grace Vineyard people, um, you not, may not realize how deep my roots go with the folks here at the River Family Church. I, I don't know if you know, <laughs> but uh, my daughter just read a poem. She's 19. I'm 56. Uh, about 40 years ago, I was, how old was I 40 years ago? 16. When I was 17, I moved to California. And that summer, 1982, I met some of the folks that are here right now. I became part of a church that um, many of you would know that are here. It was called Fresh Bread Ministries. Yeah. <laughs> And I, I ran in, yesterday I ran into Dorothy Terman and Rosa Davis. Today I saw Lupe Valles and Yvonne Cantabrana. And when I was 19, I thought it would be good for me to learn how to share my faith with people. I was 19 years old and very, very shy. And I, I would not have imagined I'd ever be talking in front of a group of people like this. The last thing I would ever want to do is talk in front of a group of people. <laughs> really, I was an introvert, very shy. So I thought, though, that if 
you want to learn how to dive off of a high dive at the public pool, you know where the remember public pools are the high dive. If you want to learn how to dive off the high dive, the best thing to do is to wait till there's a line of people, get in line. I thought this all through at 19, I'm telling you the truth. This was in my mind when I met Lupe. I thought if you want to dive off a high dive and you're chicken to do it, anyone chicken? There. <laughs> what you need to do is wait till there's a line of people and get in the line and climb up the ladder and get on the high dive when there's a line of people and you can't get back down. Because if there's a line of people, you can't get back down. Now you're stuck, you're committed, you gotta do it, right? And I thought to myself, I would like to learn how to tell people about Jesus. So I'm gonna take this class that Lupe and Dorothy, Rosa were teaching about how to share your faith. And those ladies taught me how to do a Bible study. They taught me how to tell someone about Jesus. And now here we are almost 40 years later is that nice? Isn't that good to know roots? Is it good to know that what you do today, like sowing a seed, will one day grow into a large tree? You see the large trees around us? They were one day seeds. But someone planted them and they grew. And I, my life is a story of people sowing into me. You are called to sow into someone else. Every one of you, young and old. And as I was praying, look at this fancy cup of water. I think I'll take some. Sorry if you're thirsty. Ah. Jesus said, just one drink. And it will become in you like a river of living water. Thanks for the water. Um, anyway. It's Easter, and what I just said actually has to do with what I think I'm supposed to share with you. You could imagine, those of you that are around the church, what you would talk about on Easter, right? You talk about the cross and the resurrection and how Jesus, the Son of God, came to die for our sins because we are separated from God by our sin. You know the story, most of you, right? I'm looking at people that I think, for the most part, actually know Jesus. Some of you may not yet, but you may have heard the story. So usually on an Easter Sunday, the preacher talks about the cross and the forgiveness of sins so people can go to heaven when they die. You know this the story, right? And, and But in my prayers, I, I never like to just assume that I'm supposed to talk about what I assume I'm supposed to talk about. But I go and I, I read and study and pray and think and listen. And usually the Lord has this I don't like his sense of humor, for me, because he, he usually dangles me to the very last second. And after lots of thinking and studying and praying, it wasn't until this morning that I woke up with these words. If you've ever had to speak in front of people, you're like, come on, God, could he have given it? I could have polished it for you, right? <laughs> and and what, what I felt like he had to say doesn't sound like an Easter message, but it will by the time I'm done. It's really a, a call to you, and it's a call to every one of you. The message is in three words. Take your place. 
the message of Easter for today for this crowd, I think, hopefully, tailor-made for you who are here and me, is take your place. And there's a lot of meaning in that that covers the whole of biblical history from Genesis to Revelation. And I'll, I'll try not to be too long-winded. I have all sorts of wonderful, beautiful, incredible thoughts, if you could hear them, in my brain. <laughs> but I'm going to try to bring them down into not too many for you. I don't want to overfill you. <laughs> take your place. Look in faith to Jesus at the cross. Look in faith to Jesus at the resurrection and take your place. So you know that Jesus went to the cross to take the sins of humanity on himself. I think you know that. If you don't know that, hear the gospel. All people everywhere have a problem. We've been separated from God by our sin. And no matter what we do to try to solve that problem, philosophy, hard work, religion, feeding poor people, trying not to be a bad husband. Whatever happens, you all know that you never are able to reach your own laws, much less God's laws. I've never met a person who does what they think they should do, much less what God thinks they should do. Everyone knows it. Everyone knows that we're separated from God by our sin and we need a savior. So Jesus came and took upon himself the sins of the world. We know that, but the bunch more happened at the cross that leads into this concept, this call to action, take your place. And that's where my emphasis is going to be. But to get it all, folks, People here, you're, some of you are Bible studiers, I think. You believe in the Bible, you read it. You need to know that the story of the cross and the story of the resurrection is part of the entire arc of Bible history. The Bible is not a list of rules and don'ts, of rules and do this and don't do that. It's not a bunch of good truths only. It, that's in it, but it actually is the story of God from beginning to end. There's an arc, and people have helped us to say, you can put the whole Bible in four chapters. First chapter is called chapter one, creation. Second chapter is chapter two, the fall. The third chapter is chapter three, redemption. And the fourth chapter is new creation. Creation, fall, redemption, new creation. And it's very important for this call to action, take your place for you to know what started and what's going to end and where we are in the history of the world. You with me? Okay. So in the beginning, Genesis chapter one, we have the story of creation and God has come over a place of chaos and out of the darkness has called forth life. He said, let there be light. He separated the waters and the land. From the land, he's created living creatures, animals. He's created birds. He's created fish. He's created all the plant life. And in the end, he forms human and breathes into humans the breath of life. Here's what it says in Genesis 1. Then God said, let us make man in our image and our likeness. And listen to these words. These are really important for the message I think we have today. The next sentence, the next phrase. Let us make man in our image and our likeness. Let them rule over the fish of the sea. Let them rule over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, the livestock over all of the earth, over all the creatures that move on the ground. 
So God created man in his own image, and in the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said, this is the original creation mandate, be fruitful, increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Listen, you need to know, number one, that God's design has always been and still is to this day and will be for all the future, as far as we can tell from the Bible. There's no change in plan. God's intention is to bring his kingdom rule to this planet through people. He always wants to rule through people. Chapter 2, though, of the terrible story is the fall, where man and woman made in God's image, ruling and walking in beautiful fellowship, completely dependent on God as his vice regents, ruling over the earth, walking in intimate fellowship with him, living completely dependent on him for every decision and every life-giving move that they make, like we talked about earlier with vision that comes into life from God's purposes and God's power. That's the way they were designed, but there was a creepy character in the garden, a serpent, a snake, the accuser, Satan, a liar. God had said to the man and woman, you, you can eat of all the fruit trees I've given you, but there's one tree in the middle, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Don't eat from that. If you eat from it, you will die. And they, like you and me, looked at the thing that we're not supposed to do and said, my, that looks mighty fine. That fruit looks really good. And Satan, the serpent, slithered up to him and said, did God really say you can't eat anything? And, and Eve said, no, no, no. He said, we, we can eat anything, just not that fruit. And, and if we do, we'll die. And the snake said, you will not die. Look at that fruit. God's holding out on you. If you'll take matters into your own hands and reach out and grab that fruit, just look at it. Look how good it looks. I don't know why God said he was lying to you. He's holding back. He doesn't want you to have the good life. If you'll do the thing that he said not to do, you'll have life. Why don't you take matters into your own hands? You can be God. Isn't that a good promise? You can be like God. So they looked at it and longed for it. Have you ever been had something you're not supposed to do, but you look at it? and long for it, and you go, it won't be that bad. Could it be that bad? <laughs> it's probably not going to really hurt. That's God was probably exaggerating when he said, you die. <laughs> Just one little bite. So they took the fruit. They disobeyed God. Listen, they decided they would no longer live in dependence on God, and they would live on their own like they were God. They'd make the calls. They'd make the decision. They tried it, and all hell broke loose, broke loose, literally. Every problem we have on this planet stems from what they did and what you do and what I do, where we say, I will be God. I will put matters into my own hands. I will find my own way. And the fall happened. And now we have war. Now we have lusting for things and taking them. Now we have adultery and the destruction of families. Now we have murder. It's not one generation before the son of Adam and Eve is jealous of the other son, and he takes him out and murders him because of sin. And in that act, mankind, chapter 2, the fall, is no longer ruling and reigning, but he's handed over the rule and reign to Satan, the serpent. So much so that when Jesus talks about him, he calls him the prince of this world, the ruler 
of this world. Have you heard that language before referring to Satan? Uh, Paul talked about that, said that all of us are under his rule. All of us, all of us live under the rule of Satan. That's chapter two. But God already had in mind chapter three and four. Remember what they were? Creation, fall, redemption, new creation. Because he told them at that day in the garden, someday one of your children is going to crush the head of the serpent, but the serpent will bite his heel, speaking of a Messiah that would come. And then year after year, God laid out the plan and developed it and showed them so they wouldn't miss their Messiah when he came. He, is, he called a man named Abraham and said, this is part of chapter three, redemption chose a man named Abraham and said, I'm going to make a family out of you. And out of your family, I'm going to make a nation. And out of that nation, I'm going to show you what it's like to live under my rule. I'm going to establish a temple where you'll once again experience my presence, just like you did in the garden. I'm going to give you laws of how to live and how to love and how to have peace and how to have justice and how to take care of the poor and how to take care of the oppressed and, the, and to receive the alien. Remember all that all the way through what it would be like when God's ruling. But it didn't happen. They continued to rebel and rebel and rebel. And then he even gave them something called sacrifice. He said, you know what? You can take an animal and you can do a ritual where you will take your sin and put it on the animal, probably a lamb. And that lamb will take your sin and you'll have kind of temporary forgiveness. You all know this story, right? And of course, Jesus now years later comes and John sees him and says, behold, the lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. Redemption is in process, and at the cross, it really comes to a head. It's fulfilled. Here's what one of the prophets said 700 years or so before Jesus. Some of you know this. Isaiah is talking about this day of redemption and how it's going to work. And he says, it's, it's a surprise. It's going to be strange. I'm going to have a man. And he's going to be not strong. He's going to look weak. He's not going to be beautiful. He's not going to be attractive. Not like what you would normally pick. But he will bear the sins of the world and break the power of sin. More will come, though. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. Nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men. This is 700 years before Jesus speaking this chapter 3 of redemption. Despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows, familiar with suffering. Like one from whom men hid their faces. Don't want to even look at him. He was despised and we esteemed him not. And then this promise, surely he took up our infirmities and carried our sorrows. Yet we considered him stricken by God, smitten by him and afflicted. He was pierced for our transgressions. Speaking of his role on the cross. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray, and each have turned to his own way, and the Lord has put on him the iniquity of us all. Now, you all know that, but somehow in American Christianity, a lot of us seem to forget how chapter 4 works. Creation, fall, redemption, chapter 4, new creation. A lot of people in America, at least, in my experience in Christianity, and I grew up in America as a Christian and heard lots of sermons, seem to think that the big goal of the whole thing is for you to put your faith in Jesus so you can go to heaven when you die, because that will get you in. And if you don't have Jesus, you won't get in. 
and then you just float in the cloud forever. But that's not the Bible story. The Bible story doesn't have you going off to heaven forever. It has heaven coming to earth forever. A new creation, new heavens and new earth. Isaiah, the prophet that I just read, tells them a day is coming when there will be peace again. The lion will lie down with the lamb. There will be a Messiah. The spirit of wisdom and understanding will be upon him. I'm reading from Isaiah 11. With righteousness, he will judge the needy. Listen to this. Whenever you read in the Bible about judgment coming, it is always in this context. Judgment is good because it is the judge judging the oppressor so the oppressed can be set free. So there's always joy and worship whenever you read in the Psalms, judgment is coming because Satan, the oppressor, Satan, the usurper, is judged, and those who've been oppressed by him get set free. So there's a day coming when this Messiah would judge the oppressor and take care of the needy. He will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth. Righteousness will be his belt. Faithfulness is sash. And I started to read this. The wolf will lie down with the lamb. You know, wolves don't lie down with lambs. They eat them. But in this day, the oppressor will lie down with the oppressed. So there's a picture both of animals and of wicked kings that have hurt the poor. Cow will feed with the bear. Their young will lie down. An infant will play with the, near the coal of a, a cobra. No harm, destroy, or destruction. And then finally, the last book of the Bible lays it out this. I'm, I'm getting back to where we started. So you're still with me, right? You have lost the four chapters, creation, fall, redemption, new creation. We are in an overlapping of redemption in chapter four new creation. And I'll tell you why in a second, but you got to hear these words. You ready? Revelation 21. I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God. This is how it ends. Heaven comes to earth. We sang that song that said this. Heaven and earth together is one in perfect unity. God now living with his people. Listen to this. I heard a loud voice from the throne of heaven saying, Now the dwelling of God is with men, and he will live with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. No more death or mourning or crying or pain. 2020 has been a year of death and mourning and crying and pain. No more will there be any death or mourning or crying or pain. What does that have to do with Easter, the cross and the resurrection? Two really crucial things took place at the cross. You know that I told you God dealt with sin. He dealt with its penalty. He dealt with its presence. He dealt with its power. Sin for those who put their faith in Jesus. Sin that keeps us from doing what we would do and not doing what we should do. In other words, you don't do what you should do and you do do what you shouldn't do. You got that? You do do what you shouldn't do and you don't do what you should do. That's sin. That's done away with because the penalty of sin, the presence of sin and the power of sin is broken. But more happens right before Jesus is going to go to the cross. John chapter 12. He says this. Now is the time, now at the cross, 2,000 years ago, now is the time for the judgment of the world. 
The Messiah has come. Now is the time for the judgment of this world, the prince of this world, back to the garden, the usurper, the prince of this world will be driven out. When I'm lifted up, I will draw all men unto me. Listen to some, you Bible students, listen to some more words. Hear them afresh. Hebrews 9, 26. He's appeared once for all the end of way, the ages to do away with sin. That's what we said about sin, its penalty, its power, and its presence. But also, Colossians 2.15, having disarmed the powers and authorities, the spiritual powers of wickedness, Satan and his demons, the powers behind all the evil powers in the world, he disarmed them at the cross and he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over it. Hebrews says it this way. By his death, he destroyed him who holds the power of death. That is the devil. So that through him, those who all their lives were held in slavery by fear are set free. At the cross, this is before the resurrection. The judge came and judged the prince of the world that has held people back. The folks around Jesus' time thought surely a Messiah would be a political leader. Surely he would mount an army and destroy Rome. Jesus said, I've come for a lot bigger fish than that. You think Caesar's bad. You should see the power behind Caesar. See, he understood that where man was meant to rule the earth as a representative of God, Satan had come and now he ruled the earth and people represented him. Caesar got the power to destroy people from Satan. He got the idea. He got the chutzpah to do all the evil that he did. And so it's been. God's plan was inverted and now God at the cross is turning it back upright so that you can take your place. At the cross, sin was dealt with and the spiritual powers that keep people from doing what they are called to do, and that is be God's representatives on this earth to bring his righteous rule, hope to the hopeless, life to the dying, healing to the sick, forgiveness to the sinful, light where there's darkness, feeding the hungry, welcoming the alien, taking care of the fatherless and the widows, all of the oppression dealt with correctly by God's power through people, that will be the end. And it's already taking place now because we now live in the presence of the future that will be. One day Jesus will return and all sorrow and mourning will be taken away. But he has already come and he's already dealt with sin. He's already dealt with the powers and he's already given you the place to by the power of the spirit live now in the future that is to come. We're called to live with the kingdom that will come now. Does that make any sense to you? So the call is look to Jesus on the cross. Look to Jesus in his resurrection and take your place. Now listen, the cross dealt with sin. The cross dealt with powers. They were broken. They were destroyed. Well, it doesn't feel like Satan's very destroyed. That's because that word that comes in English destroyed means in the Greek where it was written. 
Carthageo, means to render ineffective or powerless. You, if you've put your faith in Jesus Christ, have power over all the works of the evil one. So take your place. You, if you've put your faith in Jesus, do you believe me? If you've put your faith in Jesus, your experience now is what the whole world will experience in the future. You are already living in God's kingdom. At the resurrection, new creation began. Do you understand that? The new creation is a resurrection of everybody and everything. Jesus said one day he will sit on his glorious throne at the renewal of of all things. If you like the earth now, where do you see it when he recreates it? If you like to go hiking, where do you go hiking after Jesus comes back? See, your destiny is not on a cloud somewhere playing a harp. Your destiny is right here on this earth, renewed, ruled by King Jesus, you as his vice regents, freed from sin, representing him because of the cross and the resurrection and that final blow to Satan, the outpouring of the spirit, that those who look in faith to Jesus are freed from sin. They know they have all power against the powers of darkness. They know because of the resurrection, new creation has begun. They've been raised into new life. They're tasting now of what is to come in the future. They already have righteousness because God's put his righteousness on them. You guys, there's not a better story than Easter. There's just not a better story. New creation has already begun. What will be in the future consummated is here for you to taste right now. Look to Jesus on the cross. He dealt with sin and he dealt with Satan. Look to Jesus in his resurrection. The new creation has begun. Have you heard this line from Paul? If any man be in Christ Jesus, he is a? What do you think Paul had in mind? He had the resurrection in mind is what he had in mind. These guys in the first century began to search the Old Testament scriptures, the prophets, and they went, oh my gosh, it's not what we expected at all. Look at this. He's the fulfillment of all of us. New creation has begun. Why? The outpouring of the spirits already happened. The promise was the spirit would be outpoured at the end of times, and it already happened. We're living in the end of the times, waiting for the final end. And as we get closer, we get closer to the end. But we're in the end already, and we're almost to the finish line. <laughs> Can you almost taste it? <laughs> but you get to live in it now. You don't have to wait till someday you're on a cloud playing a harp, because that's not going to be what you're going to be doing. <laughs> oh, my. I hope you don't mind. I got to read to you just a couple more scriptures to seal this into our minds. This is how the revelation starts. The book of Revelation. To Jesus, him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood, that's the cross, and has made us, past tense, has made us to be a kingdom and priest 
to serve his God and Father. We're back to chapter one, where mankind is made in God's image to rule on the earth. You are called to rule now. Chapter five of Revelation. I saw a lamb looking at us as if it had been slain. That's Jesus, of course, standing in the center of the throne, circled by the elders and the creatures, and they're worshiping him, and they're singing a new song. And what their song says is this, you are worthy to take the scroll. You're the only one who's worthy, worthy to unwrap, to open up the fulfillment of all of God's promises for the ages. You alone are worthy to take the scroll because, listen, because, here's the cross, because with your blood, you, Lamb of God, purchased men for God from every tribe and language and nation. Listen to this line. You made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God, and they will reign on the earth. Do you get that? John, the beloved, writes this. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. And he's done it. He's done it. He's done it. Now, there are a few people here who are what they call millennials or Gen Zers. Do any of you know who you are? No one's admitting it. Sorry, Derry, you're too old. The millennials and the Gen Zers have taken a bum rap, in my opinion. Oh, here's one in the front row. To me, you guys are part of the most cool generation that the earth has seen in a long time. Do you know what the millennials and the Gen Zers have going for them? They care deeply about justice. Have you noticed that? You know what they care about in a job? Not how big the paycheck is. That's the boomers. The millennials want to know, does this job have any social awareness? Does it hurt poor people? Does it hurt minorities or does it help them and lift them up? Do you understand that? The millennials have what is in the heart of God. You understand that? If you read the Old Testament, what God constantly comes after Israel for is you're not taking care of the poor. You're not taking care of the fatherless. You're not taking care of the widow. You're not taking care of the immigrant. But you need to take care of those who are oppressed. It's your job to, as my representatives, to love and lift up and feed the hungry and take care of the widow and the fatherless and the minority and the immigrant. That's all the way through there. You folks, you millennials are at the head of the pack for us. Take your place. But listen, it is never God's way to use political power and might to accomplish justice and peace and love. It is always by the power of his spirit that we give love and we lay down our lives. Jesus said it this way, in my kingdom, where you are rulers, it works like this. The greatest ruler is the servant of all. Not by power, but by service. The greatest one not only loves his friend, but loves his enemy. Looks his enemy in the eye and says, I'll lay down my life for you. 
looks his persecutor in the eye and says, I'm going to overcome with love. And in so doing, extends the rule and reign of God. Listen, folks, we are called at a time such as this to be God's representatives on our planet, to bring healing to a planet that's full of disease, to bring healing to a planet and a nation that's caught up in the turmoil of race against race. We have in our hands the solution. We are the ones who know that all people are made in the image of God. So we honor all people made in the image of God, whether they're black or white or brown or any other color you can think of, right? We have in us, by the power of the Spirit, what is needed to heal the wounds of this world. So look to Jesus on the cross where he dealt with sin and dealt with Satan. Look to Jesus in his resurrection, where he inaugurated new creation. If you have faith in Jesus, you are a new creation. Old things are passed away and everything has become made new. If you look in faith to Jesus on the cross and Jesus on the erection, he promises to pour out his spirit on you so that you have the power to do everything that Jesus did. You have the power to love your enemies. You have the power to raise the dead if he calls you to do that. You have the power to drive out demonic forces that harass people. I'm telling you from experience, by the way, I have seen the dead raised. I've seen demons driven out. I've seen the blind eyes open. I've seen deaf ears hear. I've seen the paralyzed walk. I'm one of them. I've seen it all. So I can tell you, looking back in my rearview mirror, I'm telling the truth. I'm not fibbing. <laughs> Take your place, people. Well, what do you do if you're not yet a follower of Jesus? Uh, you can try to take your place. But I promise you, you will fall short. You do not have it in you. How's it worked so far? How's it going trying to be your own God? How's that working out for you? Yeah, I guess you have a perfect marriage. I, I guess you're always honest and you have no lust in your life. Well, that's not you. That's right. You don't have it in you. Jesus has it. Jesus has it in him. If you are not yet a follower of Jesus, I promise you on this Easter Sunday, why not today? If you will put your faith in Jesus on the cross and his resurrection that we celebrate this day, he will give you new life. He will deal with the sin problem, its power, its presence, its penalty. He will break the back of Satan's rule in your life and set you free to serve him and to be his representative ruler on our planet. So look to Jesus now. But if you're already a follower of Jesus, you need to look with new eyes of faith. 
because everything that you need to take your place as God's rule and reign is in your hand. We've got a song that, that the um, Amy and the band's getting ready to sing called Come to the Altar. It's a song of invitation. It says, oh, come to the altar. I'm inviting you right now, if you've never looked in faith to Jesus, to look to him. Holy Spirit, would you come and rest on this people? Holy Spirit, would you come and rest on these people? God, the living God, God, the Holy Spirit, is in this place. This is a temple of the living God. Some of you can feel him moving inside your heart right now. Some of you are having him walk over to a light switch and flip it on so that you have understanding of the very things we've been talking about. The light's coming on. Move toward the light. Don't do like our forefathers did and say, no, I want to do it my way. Stop it. Just stop that stinking thinking. <laughs> and look toward the light and give your life in entirety to Jesus. In fact, let me help you. Reach out to him and say, Jesus, I believe. I believe you dealt with sin on the cross. I don't want to miss out. So deal with my sin. Wash me. Free me from its penalty, from its power, even from its presence in my life. I look to you in faith. Listen, all of you who prayed that afresh, I declare to you that your sins are forgiven. Your sins are forgiven and you are clean. But all of us look in faith, please, to the cross and the resurrection and realize you've been called to a purpose. 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 Jesus has done everything for you to fulfill your purpose. The powers that were against you have been dealt with. They don't stand in your way. You have more power than them. Take your place and fulfill your purpose. Look in faith today and say, enough of sitting around. I have a call. I have a purpose. Take your place. There's someone in your life that needs the love that you have. Take your place. There's someone in your life 
who does not know the freedom that Jesus gives. Take your place. There's someone in your life that needs healing. Take your place and bring the healing of God to them. Get over your fear, climb up that ladder, get on the high dive and jump. I'm, I'm serious. Let God reveal to you what you've been letting fear stop you from doing and say no more. Fear's back has been broken at the cross. I'm a new creation in Christ. I'm going to take my place and do what I'm called to do. We hope you've enjoyed this message. This weekly podcast is available on our website, gracevcf.org, where you can learn more about Grace Vineyard and our vision for people everywhere to know and worship God.